All right, let's see. Cl- uh, conclusion time. We are finishing the book of Colossians. It's okay. <laughs> there is, and it's already in your bulletin, so... See, I can't hide that information. I don't get any true surprises because I plan ahead. So I don't, I don't get to hide that stuff from you. So you get to know what's going on. So you can tell we'll be doing another new book very quickly after that. Anytime we do anything of any length, I try to get us a couple of shorter books afterwards, you know, just to make us feel like we're accomplishing something and moving along. So you're being warned now. That means there's a longer book coming soon if we get like a really, really short one. So that's, you've now figured out the pattern that I now have to figure out a way to break. Yeah, it's just, just how it works. And again, I try to lay this out. I am currently prepping, well, not prepping them. I'm currently outlining and laying out sermons towards the, uh, through 2025. So, because once you figure out, okay, we're going to be in this book, and then you start figuring out how many weeks it's going to be and looking at it, you just start plugging it into the calendar, and it starts filling up calendars quickly. So, I'm, I need to start on 2026 soon. So, you can't get rid of me yet, because that's how far out I've planned. <laughs> so, with all of that said, we are going to spend time in the conclusion, even the parts that ordinarily people would skip, and I know how you are when you read it at home, you just go, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, whatever. But there's useful stuff in there. I told you before, there are some sections of books that, you, that I really look forward to preaching through when I get to them. This wasn't one of them, but I'm so weird that years ago when I did preach through Genesis, like the two sections I was really looking forward to were Genesis 5 and Genesis 10. The, the two genealogies where everybody goes, we're going to spend an, an entire Sunday on that. Yes, and it's going to be fun, and we're going to enjoy it. Kind of the same thing here in Colossians. All the details matter, including the people. And warning, we are going to have a bunch of people today. We are going to spend some time, not a ton of it, but we are going to spend time looking at who they are because who they are is actually instructive for the work that Christ has done and the work that Christ is doing. And that will give us lessons about who God is, what the kingdom is like, and even us in this world. Sound like fun? All right. I will take that as a yes. (laughs) I will take the cough of agreement. Let's dive in verse 7. And for once, we're actually going to read more than like a quarter of the verse before I stop you, so you you get to look forward to that. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. So realize this. Paul has written a letter to these people, but he has not included all of the personal details. He is instead entrusting them to Tychicus, who is a trusted friend, which always... I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, Ephesians 6 that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. Remember, we are dealing with a prison epistle. Ephesians is also one of these circular letters, uh, circular, circuit letters, a prison epistle as well. So apparently Tychicus has some traveling to do, and he has a bunch of people to go visit while he is being sent out. So I said I wasn't going to do it, but I cannot help myself, so I'm going to do it. So you just have to look this way for a second, because I'm going to go running over. dun dun dun, dun. Remember, Paul is in prison in Rome. He is sending Tychicus probably by ship. They will sail around and more than likely land in this area. Ephesus will be here, and then inland from Ephesus is where you would get to Colossae and then Laodicea and all of these other churches of Revelation that if you go read Revelation, which will do you good, you will read about and see. They all are basically on a mail route that you can follow through, and you can hit them in circuit. Now, who is Tychicus? Where has he come from? If nothing else, it's just a fun name to say. Tychicus. If you're looking for a name for children, grandchildren, I encourage you, there will not be any other Tychicuses. Tychicus-I? Yeah, that would be the plural of that, right? Yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah, so there you go. Acts chapter 20. He was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Now, Acts 20, if you've been with us on Wednesday, you know what we're talking about there. That is Paul taking the elders from Asia, and they are traveling with him to Jerusalem. How do we know such a thing? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. 
Now, this is when I say a trusted friend, Tychicus, uh, by the way, can we just agree to call him Ty from here on in so I can stop like tying myself in a knot? Okay, I got enough votes. We're going to go ahead and call that past motion. So Ty is a trusted friend here because 1 Corinthians 16 is mid to late 50s A.D., Philippians, what Philippians, why am I talking about Philippians? Colossians would be early 60s AD. So it's been a few years. Um, Ty is also sent in Titus 3 and 2 Timothy 4, which would be dated into the late 60s. So for the better part of a decade, as Paul has been traveling around doing ministry, wherever he has been, he has been able to lean on one of these gentlemen. Well, so one of the gentlemen from Acts 20, one of them being Tychicus. Sorry, it just sounds weird not to say it now, so I'm stuck, I'm stuck with it. So if I'm stuck with it, you're stuck with it. Now, ooh, I get to pick on some people. This is always fun. My Wednesday night people, Acts chapter 20, those elders from the churches in Asia, ethnically, what are they predominantly? Almost exclusively? Jew or Gentile? They're Gentiles. Paul, one of Paul's most trusted ministry partners for the better part of this decade has been a Gentile elder from the Corinthian region, which if you want to have some fun, um, go look up the history of the the Corinthian church. Basically, like everything that could go wrong did because everything that would have been wrong in a metropolitan area in that world was wrong in Corinth. So that is who Tychicus is. Let's move on. Eight. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, remember, as to all my affairs, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Always remember this, Christian. This is not just a pity party of a trip. Tychicus is going to inform the Colossians about how Paul is in prison and everything that's happened to him, which, by the way, read the ending of the book of Acts and you will see everything that has happened to Paul. It's been a rough couple of years. Yeah, it's been, they've tried, the, 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 the synagogue Jews have tried to kill him a bunch. He was almost beaten to death by an angry mob at the temple. Then the Romans tried to beat him, and then he was in jail for a little while, and then he's been sent to Rome where he's been in jail for a little while. I mean, this is, he was shipwrecked. I mean, it's, it's been a rough go. There's a, there is a laundry list of things that as Tychicus is informing the Colossians, there should be a dude in the background like playing a violin, you know, something somber. Because Paul actually deserves the pity party. But that's not the only reason he's going. That he may encourage your hearts. I always like to remind people for understanding the Bible of this one. This is, ooh, I get to pick on people again. Ah, This is a good day. It's a good, good day. Okay, so for my Wednesday people who were from the previous book, what was the purpose of the writing of the book of Revelation? encourage the churches. This is part of the reason at the beginning of the book, Revelation 1. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. That's an allusion to the Holy Spirit. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to be to him, I'm sorry, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I'm doing my Jack Sparrow run again. Remember, that is actually, Christian, supposed to be an encouragement to you. When Paul is being half beaten to death in Jerusalem and arrested by the Romans and shipwrecked in the middle of the sea and lost in a storm and bitten by a viper, all of those things are meant to be an encouragement. <laughs> you're laughing because you're like, wait a minute. I feel like I've, I've misunderstood the definition of encouragement here. Christian, are you home? No. No, you are not. Every single time this world kicks you in the shins, it should be a reminder that you are not home. But because of who Christ is, because of what Christ has done, and because of the work that he has done and is doing in you, you are headed home. And that no matter how many times the world may kick thy shins, there is coming a kingdom where the shin pads will be greater. Okay, there's bad soccer analogies. I'm done. It's a reminder that, no, this isn't home, but I'm, oh, I'm going there. 
that this is not where I rest, but rest is coming. This is not where my peace is, but my peace is coming. Perspective always matters. Regaling the Colossians and the Ephesians and the Philadelphians and the Laodiceans and all of the people that Tychicus is going to see, regaling them with all of the stories of what has befallen Paul is an encouragement because where is Paul still standing? Firm and faithful just as he has encouraged the Colossians to do. Tychicus, who was a Gentile, redeemed out of the mess that was Corinth, faithful follower and minister with Paul. What is he doing? Standing faithful, traveling along, doing the work. Which means Colossians, as you live your life, and the world sideswipes you on random Tuesdays because that's when everything random happens. That's what the Moody Blues taught you. And if you get that reference, congratulations. (laughs) Because of that... And as you stand faithful, you can be encouraged that I have not been overcome by the world because as Christ has promised, the gates of hell will not overcome his kingdom. And where do I reside? Temporarily here, permanently in his kingdom. Now, that's one part. The other reason, this is the other thing you should get straight in your mind, Christian. That's always the mission. Always the mission. Ephesians chapter 4, which is another letter that Tychicus is carrying along. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Which means who you are, what you are, how you are, is a gift of God for the building up of his kingdom. Whether you're tall, short, pretty, ugly, rich, poor, whether you can teach, whether you can pray, whether you can serve, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you have kids, whether you have grandkids, you are in that position for the building up of the body and the glorifying of God who has redeemed and rescued you. (sighs) Figure it out. And I'm serious about that part because you know what? I am not rich and poor, single and married, with kids and with grandkids and without kids and all. I'm not living in all of those places. Therefore, I can't live in that place and say, here's what you should do. Here's how you glorify God in your circumstances. You have to do that based on the renewing of your mind, based on the transformed heart that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit as you live your life unto the glory of God, Colossians 3.17. This is what the Christian call is. You have to figure some of this out. I told you this last week. I'm going to tell you this again as long as I still have a voice. Christianity is a thinking religion. Doesn't mean you have to be Einstein or you're like thinking through all things like, you know, like it's quantum physics or something. But you have to be evaluating as God has gifted you, as God has placed you so that you can think through how do I glorify him in this situation? How do I glorify him when I'm well? How do I glorify him when I'm ill? How do I glorify him when I'm healthy? How do I glorify him when I'm injured? How, do, how, 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 how? You have to think through these things on a regular basis based on who he is, what he has done, and where you are going in Christ. That's why I jokingly tell you your mileage will vary, terms and conditions do apply, because your life is different. The Colossian life is different, but at the end of the day, The testimony is one of an encouragement on who God is and what he has done for his people as he is ushering them into his kingdom. Always remember that. Every look at yourself, every look at your sin, every look at the brokenness of this world, take 10 looks at Christ so that you be reminded of the destiny and the eternity that we are longing to dwell with. Now, here's where it gets fun. Verse 9. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. (sighs) Onesimus is an interesting character. I won't dive completely into him. We mentioned him a couple of weeks ago at the end of chapter 3. You can go dig that up. Onesimus is a runaway slave who is from Colossae. The person who owns Onesimus is a man by the name of Philemon, and Onesimus is traveling back with his own letter to Philemon, which I encourage you to read. That's an interesting case. The more interesting part of this, to me, is you have an, a Gentile elder of the church. You have a runaway fugitive slave who are now brothers in Christ traveling together for one mission. That's cool. That's cool. When, you, when Paul writes in Galatians 3, which would have been, um, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, 
historically, it had been about 10, 12, 13 years possibly ago before Colossians. When he says there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, he means it. He lives it. He teaches it. The people he travels with understand it. This is not an identification based on the exterior. This is an identification based on who you are in Christ. Which, by the way, that's why I make such a big deal about the different circumstances of your life and you figuring this out, because that's the answer to the uh, the challenge I'm always giving you. I tell you, you should have more in common with the faithful Christian on the other side of the planet than you should with the pagan down the street. And you're going, but I don't share a culture, a language, a lifestyle, anything with the pagan across the country, across the planet. I get that. Terms and conditions may apply. Your mileage may vary. But as they live counter to their sinful culture, you live counter to your sinful culture. As they stand for Christ against the darkness, you stand for Christ against the darkness. That will look different in each culture. But if we picked you up and stuck you in that culture and gave you 20 minutes to think about it, you know what it'd start to look like? You'd start to look like each other. When I encourage you not to look like the pagan down the street, that doesn't mean, well, the pagan down the street bought a car. You know what that means? I can't buy a car. I'll buy a bicycle. Yes, we will go everywhere, and that will be our testimony of evangelism. Now, look, if you want to ride a bicycle everywhere in northern Illinois in January, God bless you. Have fun. Exactly. (laughs) That's not what we mean. Yes, they have a house. You have a house. They eat food. You eat food. They drive a car. You drive. That's, not the, that's not what we look like identifying. Living for the things of the world. Living against the things of the world. That should be a demarcation line. The things that your life is built around, the things that their life is built around, that should be a demarcation line. What you're seeking to accomplish, what they're seeking to accomplish, that should be a marker as well. This is what we mean when we say living against the world and living for God in light of what he has done makes you look different from them and like the Christian on the other side of the globe. So, fun little case. We're going to have some more. You ready? Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Some people just have all the luck. Aristarchus is not one of those people. All right, so catch this first. What is the condition of Aristarchus based on this verse? He's in jail, my fellow prisoner. That, that, you're not visiting, you're not passing through. He did not roll doubles, he is stuck. Yes, I've made that joke twice, you're welcome. Acts 19. The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater. This is the great riot in Ephesus because the, the gospel message is being proclaimed and Gentiles are turning away from pagan idols and turning to Christianity, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Poor Aristarchus just chilling with Paul, hanging out, riot breaks out. They got to have somebody to beat half to death in the theater. Who do they grab? Him. Paul gets snatched up to get thrown in jail in Rome. Who do they grab? Him. So, note to self, if Aristarchus invites you anywhere, the answer is no. No, I got I to gotta see a guy about a thing. I'm going to be busy that day, okay? I don't know what day it is, but I'm going to be busy that day. Um, Acts 27. When it was decided that we would set sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Embarking on the Adramitian ship, which was about to set sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. (laughs) You know what happens on that ship journey, right? They get shipwrecked and, you know, spend a few nights and tossed around by the wind and the waves. Again, if Aristarchus invites you, hey, let's go on mission trip. The answer is no, <laughs> no. I don't know what could go wrong, but if you're involved, the answer is it probably will. So you got to love it. Once again, you know the best part about that? He's still around. He's still hanging out. He's been traveling around with Paul. He's, been, he's known Paul since Thessalonica. Paul went through Thessalonica in originally in like the mid-50s, and he had to hightail out of that because the Jews from the synagogue were trying to kill him. And Arist- so maybe it's not Aristarchus' fault, or maybe it is, because Aristarchus was like, hey, I'm going to hitch my wagon with that guy. I, I like the way he rolls. People keep trying to kill him, and I, I, I want to be where the action is. <laughs> This explains foreign missionaries, though, doesn't it? Hey, we're going to send somebody to the deepest, darkest of Africa and, like, airdrop you into South America somewhere. Who wants to go? Ooh, me, 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 me. That's, that's Aristarchus. This is, again, why I tell you, you fill some sort of niche in the kingdom. 
Because some of you are going, that's just the dumbest thing I have ever heard. And some of you are sitting thinking, that sounds exciting. I would sign up for that. And you know what? We need both of you in the kingdom. We need people who are cautious and planning and thinking. We need people who kind of take life by the horns and, and, and act first and think second every once in a while because we need let's slow down, let's evaluate. But at the same time, we need to be pushed forward. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does, and it is a blessing to his kingdom. Don't be someone else. This is a lesson that is hard to learn in a modern culture. If God wanted someone else to do the things that your life is meant to do, you know what he would have done? He'd have given that life to somebody else. He gave it to you. Therefore, you do that unto the glory of God, being renewed and being transformed day by day. Who you are, enter into that place. So let's continue. Aristarchus sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice, because nobody gets to be called Jesus anymore. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. All right, back to the first one. And the reason I say back to the first one is because we have no idea who Justice is. It's like the only time he's mentioned. He's just one of those people lost history, which, by the way, is also a cool note. Um, Paul knew who he was, not that that matters. The Colossians will know who he was, not that that matters. You have no idea who he was, not that that matters. God knows who he is. That's what matters. Faithful servants in the kingdom. Always remember this. There is coming a day when someone will read your name in like a genealogical record or in a clerk of court thing one day and be like, I wonder who that is. And there will be nothing else. Long for that day. And the reason I tell you that is because as you long for that day, you will rightly put into perspective the life that you live. And you will not seek fame and recognition here, but you will seek the fame and recognition that comes with the glorifying work of a Christian as he serves Christ day in and day out. Long for the anonymity of kingdom fame. That's the world in which we live. That's what justice has found. But... In my opinion, a cooler part of the story, Mark, Barnabas's cousin Mark. Go back to Acts 15. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark. That's, that's, that's this guy. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So on the first missionary journey, um, Paul and Barnabas go out. John, who is Barnabas's cousin, who is also called Mark, I know this gets confusing after a while, goes along with them, and halfway through the trip, we don't know why, but he goes home. I don't know if he's a mama's boy. I don't know if he freaked out. I don't know if he broke his ankle. I have no earthly idea. He went home, and that bothered Paul to the point that when it was time for trip number two, and we're all going, and John Mark wants to go along, Barnabas said, well, let's take John Mark along, and Paul said, no. And Paul was determined, if you've, if you, as, you've gone, as we've gone through Acts on Wednesday. Is Paul stubborn Wednesday, folks? <laughs> just, just, just a wee little bit. Which, again, is one of his endearing qualities in my mind. Because in order to do the work that Paul has, was required to do in the book of Acts, you had to be more than a little bit stubborn. By the way, when I say stubborn, I mean they drug him out of a city and stoned him what they thought to death. And the left his carcass lying outside, you know, dusting themselves off and walked back into the city. The believers gathered around, probably preparing for the funeral, and Paul got up, dusted himself off, and was like, I'm going back to town. You guys coming with? And went back in. Like, dude, th that was a hint, wasn't it, that you should probably not be here any longer? And Paul's like, yeah, I'd be fine. Um, when there's the riot breaking out and he's encouraged to leave because they're going to kill him, the very next verses, and so he stayed a few days longer. <laughs> <laughs> when the riot in Ephesus breaks out and they're looking for someone to kill, Paul's like, if you'll let me go talk to him, I'm sure I can calm this down. And the, and the elders are like, no, that would be dumb. What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. Just making sure that. When is that rule in effect? Always in effect. Okay. Just always have to cover these things. When we say Paul was a little bit stubborn, Paul was uh, very much stubborn. There are mules watching Paul walk by going, that dude is stubborn. As he's arguing with Barnabas, there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul was so insistent on not taking Mark with him that a man whose nickname is Son of Encouragement was like, I can't work with you. Do you have any idea how bitter that has to be to where a dude whose name literally means encourager is just like, I'm out. 
I, I, I just can't deal with this any longer. I think that's part of the reason why there's the, um, the uh, parenthetical. Um, is, it, is it? Yeah. No, go back, go back to 10 real quick. Just for a second, Sally, go back to 10 real fast. There's a, the parenthetical right there about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. I wouldn't be shocked if Paul had sent instructions to the Colossians not to welcome him because he had deserted the work way back when. Now, you can go back to 11. The reason I like the Mark story is because from history, we get the understanding that after traveling with Paul, Mark ends up traveling with Peter, which if you were going to travel around with somebody who would understand how do you minister in light of crushing failure in the face of God and his work, could you pick a better guy than Peter? <laughs> Peter was like, I will deny you even if they kill me. Jesus, what's a Jesus? Never, never heard of him. Uh, never met the guy. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, that's the guy who you want to travel around. That's where we get a gospel from, which also, cool note, um, either by 62, 63 AD, either Mark has just been written or is in the process of being written. If you put a gun to my head, I would tell you it has actually been written, probably again as the, the traveling around has been going on as he's been traveling with Peter, because remember um, from history, Mark's gospel is basically the collection of Peter's testimony in public preaching. That's why Mark reads like it does. If you ever read the gospel of Mark, you feel like you need to take a deep breath like every two chapters because it just it just never stops. It just keeps coming at you and coming at you because if you're collecting public proclamations, what would that look like? No transition material. This is what the sermon is, and at the end, then you know we're not we're not recording the 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 other part of the sermon. We're just recording the teaching part. So travels from Paul to Peter somehow manages to make his way back to Paul. Um, if you fast forward about five years, you get Second Timothy four. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Paul goes from, no, he's not going, not even a little bit to, hey, 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 I need him. <laughs> That's just cool. That's an understanding of not just a redemption in Mark, but also a change in the heart of Paul. And a recognition of who you are in light of Christ now. Always remember this, Christian. How often are you supposed to be forgiving people again? Up to seven times, Jesus? <laughs> Which means that person who went out of your life and has come back in, they get to hurt you again. Because you have to give people the benefit of the doubt on occasion. Once again, terms and conditions may apply. Your mileage may vary. You have to evaluate your life when in those situations. But always do it in light of who God is and what he has called you to. Because in Christ people actually can change. Apart from Christ, I'm leery of it. That when that person comes back to you apart from Christ, you go, I've changed, I'm different. The narrator always gets to say what? <laughs> he hasn't changed and he wasn't different. The world is full of those stories. But in Christ, we are changed and we are different. I always like to have that conversation every once in a while, I'll think through, what would it be like if I took me now and I got to hop in my DeLorean and go back and talk to me like 20 years ago? <laughs> Me 20 years would be go, we do what? We what? We huh? If you went back 25 years ago, it'd be like, we, we what? Like we're not dead in a ditch somewhere? Win, win. <laughs> Always remember that for when you're dealing in this world and that the gospel covered your sins. It covers a lot of sins. Now remember, outside of the gospel, no covering. But in Christ, a whole lot of work being done. Next person, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfectly and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, we've actually met Epaphras before. Go all the way back to chapter 1. Um, Paul talking about why he's praying for the Colossians. Because always remember, has Paul met the Colossians? No, he's never been there. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. The Colossian church exists because there was an evangelist and elder named Epaphras, 
who has started this church and has encouraged this church and helped build this church and is bragging on them to the point that Paul's like, I need to write a letter to these people. These people sound awesome, and I want to make sure that their instruction is complete and that they are encouraged, so I'm going to send a letter. This is good. And by the way, he gets to uh, brag on a path for a little bit if my pages will stop sticking together. In verse 13, For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Um, apparently, Epaphras was a busy traveler. Now, geographically speaking, I won't, I won't do it. I won't go running over the map because you can't see it, and it would just be me pointing at the green stuff. Um, Hierapolis and Laodicea are about 20 miles, I'm going to make sure I get my directions right, are 20 miles west of Colossae. Um, Hierapolis is north of Laodicea, and I think I have that right. If not, don't yell at me and throw a map at me. <laughs> and this is not the first time that these churches have actually been linked. Uh, Colossians 2. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at, who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face. And by the way, not the last time these churches are linked in your Bible either. And while this is not exactly relevant on this particular section, it'll be relevant in just a minute, so I want to have two examples, so I'm going to go to the other spot where these three churches are linked, even though most people miss it. Revelation, chapter 3. You know it's a good day when you get two Revelation references, right? There you go. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's the beginning of the letter to the Laodiceans in that little section of Revelation 3. Now, how many of you heard, see, you either need to be on fire for Jesus or you need to be rejecting the gospel, but it's all those lukewarm middle people in the, people in the middle that are just, God can't do anything with them. Just saying that out loud sounds dumb, doesn't it? But let's be honest, doesn't that sound a little ridiculous to say that out loud? God would prefer you hate him rather than be a little wishy-washy. Because if you're wishy-washy, now God can't do anything. Oh no, the Holy Spirit is powerless because you are lukewarm. That's just weird and it makes no sense. <sighs> history lesson. And this is good. We're going to make a point out of this in a minute. Well, not, near, not really history lesson, geography lesson. Laodicea has numerous advantages geographically because of the crops that they can produce and the things that they can make. The one thing they don't have is water. <laughs> um, Colossae is at the end of the river line, but they are more in the mountainous region, and Colossae is famed for its rich drinking water because it's nice, cold mountain streams. Based on the testimony of Epaphras and what Paul has seen, what kind of church is Colossae? Solid, aren't they? They're awesome. Epaphras is bragging on them. Paul's encouraging them. I mean, this is a good church. North of Laodicea is Hierapolis. Hierapolis does not have lovely cold water. Hierapolis is renowned for its hot springs. Hierapolis, historically, is also a very good church, a very healthy church, a very functional church. Laodicea has neither cold, refreshing mountain water nor wonderful hot springs. They pump their water in via aqueduct from Hierapolis. Now, imagine lovely hot springs that people soak in, and you are pumping this water for people to drink seven miles south. What's that going to look like as it's sitting in the basins in town squares? <laughs> now, if you've lived there your whole life, what kind of water is that? No, if you've lived there your whole life, that's just water. This is the water that we drink. You're used to it. What happens if you travel through? <laughs> What is this? It's tepid. It's weird. It's lukewarm. Laodicea is a terrible church. They're struggling. They have problems. They have great difficulties. They are neither Colossi, cold. They are neither Hierapolis, hot. They are failed. Therefore, God will vomit them out of his mouth, just as the way people vomit their water out of their mouths. Jesus in Revelation is using an example from their very own world to demonstrate what their problem is. And then he goes on and does the same thing with they're blind and naked because Laodicea was renowned for its medicinal eye salve and for its clothing that they would make with their famous wool. So in other words, you think you can see and that you are richly clothed when you are actually blind and naked. Now, that's then, about 20, 25, maybe 30 years from now. Right now, Laodicea is a brother. What should you do now? What should you do now? 
Rejoice. Celebrate. They're a fellow church. Always remember, even if it looks like they're heading in a bad direction, rejoice in the work that's going on now. We reject trajectory theology in every shape, form, or fashion. We don't look at the Bible and go, well, it looks like Scripture is heading in this direction. We throw that out because I can tell you it looks like Scripture is heading in 5,872 different directions and come up with all manner of theology that would look like Scripture might be potentially headed in that direction. Is that how you want to understand your Bible? No. Is that how you want people to look at your life? No. Want people to look at your life in Christ and how you are efforting in the kingdom. You do the same thing. Second example of that is verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Now, Luke, you guys know, he is the friend of Paul, traveling companion, author of both Luke and Acts, and if you put a gun to my head and maybe tell you, he is also the author of Hebrews. We're not going to get into that argument right now. Um, Demas isn't. <laughs> That's the polite way of putting it. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, I want you to notice this. Sitting here, 62, 63, 64 AD, Laodicea is a brother. Rejoice. Encourage them. Read their letter. Have your letter. Have your letter. Have your letter read. Oh my goodness. Mike, you would think I talked for a living or something. Read their letter, have your letter read to them, and rejoice. Demas, five years from now, is going to be off the rails, having loved this present world. Right now, what is he, though? His brother. It's almost like we were warned about something like this. Matthew, chapter 13. Hear, then, the parable of the sower. We're not going to read the original giving. We're just going to skip right to the explanation. Because anytime you get an explanation for a parable, you know what you should do? Take it. (laughs) I think this parable, no, this parable means exactly what Jesus said it means, and that's what he said it meant, so that's what we're going to go with. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one of whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately... He falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. I would argue that's probably Demas. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, here's the fun question for you. You ready? You ready for your challenge of the day? As if we haven't already done this enough. I want you to look out at the world and say, who's the rocky soil, who's the thorns and thistles, and who's the good soil, based upon their worship in a church on a given Sunday morning? How's that going to work out for you? It's not. You have no idea. You'd be like, you know what? That guy doesn't sing as loud as the one standing next to him, and you know, he, he liked that one song a little too much, and that song's maybe a little questionable, so you know, I, he, he's, that's dumb. Well, again, what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. This is why, again, I tell you all the time, Christian community, the building up of the body of believers. I had a seminary professor who had a lovely way of putting this because of his own personal experience, which you want to talk about messed up. This is is a good example. He goes like, you need to stay because, and the reason he was telling us this is because um, you know what the average tenure of a pastor in a Southern Baptist church is? Not even. I saw five go up. At the time, and now it might be different now, but at the time, it was like three years and 11 months or something like that. So in other words, we're running pastors through churches like crazy. He goes, his example was, he goes, you need to stay in a church like at least seven, eight years, because if you don't, it's going to be like four or five years before you even find out like that sweet little old lady is a drug dealer in your church. And I'm like, that's an extreme example. Well, the reason he gave that extreme example is he was pastoring a church in New Orleans, And there was this lady who was part of the uh, Women's Missionary Union in the church, and she made cookies for everybody. And she was one of those little sweet, you know, know those little old ladies that bake everything every day? They bake pies and cookies and stuff. Well, the reason she did that is the church people got the good cookies. Well, maybe the church people got the bad cookies, depending on how you looked at it. And she had a whole other segment of people that worked for her in town who got the good cookies. (laughs) She was literally a grandmother who baked cookies and sold drugs. (laughs) was a member of the church, like part of the WMU, like sang in the choir. And the whole church knew. 
Like everybody knows, but it's just one of those like open secrets. And as the pastor of the church, he didn't find out until he'd been there for like four and a half years. Because <laughs> like she'd invited him over for lunch and he, they were like, yeah, just so you know, there's a reason why nobody goes to Sally's. I don't remember what her name is. There's a reason why nobody goes to Sally's home for lunch on like Tuesdays, you know, <laughs> because nobody wants to be seen with the baked goods. So they're doing the pastor a solid, like don't go to the house for lunch in case there's ever a raid. <laughs> now, we laugh, but at the same token, there's a little truth in that. Because you can pretend a lot of things for a long time, but eventually everything that is done in darkness will be exposed to the light. Time shows everything, which is again why you are told to plug into the church, to be a part of the church, to not forsake the assembling of the saints, to actually live a life with a community of believers, because that way the soil upon which you are sown can be revealed and shown, and the gospel can be preached, and the right ointment can be applied to the wounds as they come up. Because which one of us are perfect again? Exactly. And which one of us are struggling in fighting each and every day? All of us. And therefore, we need the encouragement. Again, why? What is the purpose of your giftings? The building up of the body. What is the purpose of your life station? The equipping of the saints for ministry in the kingdom. What is the purpose of your life circumstances? The exact same things. You are who you are for the glory of God. And we need who you are for the glory of God, for the building up of his kingdom, because you know who's part of his kingdom? That would be us. <laughs> and we need that each and every day. Never forget that and never forsake that because that is how we live out our calling day in and day out. That's part of the encouragement here, even though we know that Laodicea is going to be a complete train wreck and Demas is going to be a complete train wreck. What do you do in the meantime? Verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha in the church that is in her house. Until the train wreck actually happens, you know what you have to do? Rejoice. Celebrate. If you don't, you will become so embittered and so aggravated trying to root out all the evil of every little thing that you see in everybody else. <laughs> you know what the problem with that is, right? Where's first ministry again? Yeah, First ministry is always at home and it always starts with you. Notice who I point out when I say you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My ministry always starts with me. Your ministry always starts with you. I can't help you take the speck out of your eye until I've removed the log from mine. But always remember the second part of that. Once I've removed that log, what do we do? We work on the speck as well. We don't forsake that. We live in this world eyes open. As again, as Paul was encouraging the Colossians, being diligent and alert in prayer as we live our lives, understanding what time it is, understanding what is about the, what the world is about and where we live day in and day out. This is Matthew 10 again. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Does that mean you just, oh, we're sheep. We get to go out into the world and not have to pay any attention to anything. The shepherd will find us. Yes, the shepherd will find you. Don't get eaten. And I'm serious about that. If you could tell the sheep, like, you know, I, I joking, like, we, we tell the dog this every day when I leave the house, as he sits there and pouts at us. And by the way, you have not lived till you've seen a St. Bernard pout at you, but he actually, we tell him, all right, don't burn the house down. Now, if only he could actually accomplish that, right? Why do I say that? Because it makes me feel a little bit better and because that's why I don't feel so sad because he's pouting at me like that. But if you could tell the sheep out in the field, hey, don't get eaten by the wolves. You know, the shepherd's job would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? If the sheep would just be like, yes, sir. All right. Pay attention where the wolves are. Don't get eaten. We got this, guys. What do sheep do? Christian, you are not entirely exactly like sheep. You have a brain. You have a renewed mind, strengthened by the Holy Spirit. You have a heart of flesh given to you by God. Therefore, you can actually look and go, hey, look, look, look. Wolf, you know what we shouldn't do? Let's not go play the weird sheep games over there in front of the wolf. Let's go to the other end of the field where the wolf isn't, where the shepherd and the dog are, and then we'll be safe. Good plan. That's wisdom in the world. This is what you have the capacity and the gumption, because the Holy Spirit has given you that you know, right foot of fellowship there, to do. You are being spurred along. This is what your life is supposed to be like. 
Again, what he told the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul's going to continue. Verse 16. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. This is one of those fun little notes that, you know, we forget. This is, which has been one of the fun things about going through Acts on Wednesday. The news traveled slower back then, but it traveled. It actually traveled. All right, I will go running over here just for a second. I mean, realize that Paul spends half his life in Jerusalem... He's from Tarsus. Barnabas finds him in Antioch. He plants churches in Galatia, in Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus. He sails through all these places, goes back to Jerusalem multiple times. This is, this is a big place. And this is just Paul's world. He ends up in Rome. There is some understanding from church history. He makes it off the map into Spain. He travels back. We actually have historical um, evidence of international trading going back five to ten centuries before the New Testament. Like 900 BC, there are ships sailing from Greece to Italy and North Africa trading goods. There's uh, records going back to 4000 BC almost of Sumerians trading with people in modern day Turkey and the eastern ends. <laughs> <laughs> the world has always had travel, and it is, while slower, it is still there. Fun little notes if you want some fun in history. Um, Andrew, the apostle, ends up spreading the gospel in Scythia. That would be southwestern uh, Russia, Ukraine area. Nathaniel is uh, still renowned today in areas in Persia and India for bringing the gospel to those places. Uh, Thomas apparently also made his way to India, and there is testimony that Simon went to Britain. <laughs> Imagine, you take off from Jerusalem, I'm going to walk most of the way to England. <laughs> I say most of the way because, you know, there's a little bit of water in the middle there. But this is a world that, despite the challenges and the time and the difficulty in travel, that still understood that there was a community of faith being built. Christian. We have way more advantage in that regard. Don't just use that as an opportunity to be connected to your small world, but use that as an opportunity to recognize that the work of the gospel is not just a local work here. Yes, your ministry begins at home and your ministry starts with you, but that ministry is being accomplished by God on what kind of scale? <sighs> Always remember that and be encouraged. Who wins in the end? Who wins? Christ and his armies are victorious. So, and for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Wouldn't you pay money to have that letter? Be like, the church that goes completely off the rails, wouldn't you love to know what's in it? Like, why isn't that one in the New Testament? John 21. There are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that were written. John 20. Many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And Paul under, Paul's understanding, 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. I would love to know what are in the other two letters to the Corinthian churches. I would, I would love to know what's in the letter to Laodicea, but they're not in my New Testament. But you know what is in my New Testament? Everything I need. Everything I need for faith and practice, for godly living in this world, for an understanding of who God is and how I live in light of that. That's another lesson that should be taken away from this. Christian. Paul warns not to get lost in endless speculations and genealogies. The entirety of the modern world... <laughs> is an exercise in endless speculations and genealogies. If you don't believe me, um, about the third week of November, hmm, I take that back, about the second week of November, 2024, you know what every cable news station is going to talk about, right? Who's going to be running for Congress in 2026 and who's going to be the front runners for president in 2028? It's like, people, we just had an election like 20 minutes ago. What are we talking about now? The next one. You, you know Super Bowl coverage started like at 2 a.m. this morning, right? 
<laughs> like the Weather Channel this morning is doing Super Bowl coverage, explaining how, how is the drought in Arizona affecting the Super Bowl this week? I don't care. Is it going to rain tomorrow? <laughs> we live in a time of endless speculation. That's why I said all the information that we have, all the advantages, you know, you have, you have the answers to everything in the tip of your finger now. Don't let that be the thing that leads you into the endless speculations and genealogies. Let that be the thing that leads you into righteousness and godliness and an increase in knowledge and wisdom so that you can recognize the work that God is doing on a grand scale. Let that be the focus of your life. Discipline yourself so that you would be renewed day by day. And then finally, say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment, grace with you. Um, Last person is in verse 17. You actually know about them from Philemon. To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So apparently... um, Archippus is one of the people in the household or part of the family of Philemon, one of the, uh, I don't know, if you, do you have stock in Onesimus? Is that how that works? Simple enough message, though. 2 Timothy 4, you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, Christian. That's not just a lesson to people who do this for a living. That's a lesson to us each and every day. Be wary. Be mindful, be paying attention, fulfill your ministry. May not be the one you signed up for, may not be the one you longed for, but it's the one that God has prepared you for. It is the one that God has gifted you for. It is the one that God has set you to live out in this world day by day. And because he has done that and because he has not forsaken you, he will bring you to a good end. This is your summation of the book. Rooted in faith, saved by Christ, glorifying God in our bodies, no matter who we are, no matter what the world thinks of us, striving to his kingdom unto the glory of God each and every day. Congratulations, there's four chapters of Colossians, all in one. (laughs) It can be done. Some of you are like, why didn't you just do that like two months ago? (laughs) Because that would have taken all the fun out of my life, okay? That's why. But in all honesty, this is what it looks like each and every day to live into the glory of God. It just looks like you living a life which, remember, will be forgotten by everyone, but will be remembered eternally in God's kingdom because it is the life that he has empowered and he has prepared you for. That's where your joy is. That's where your rest is, and that's where your accomplishment is. Christian, be reminded of that each and every day, and then go forth and conquer. Let's pray.